0: Hello, and welcome to the Good News Podcast, where we try to share the good news of Christ's salvation. We'll try to upload a new message every week for you. For more information, or to send us a comment, please visit us at www.gathered.com. Thank you. The following message was given by David Oliver of Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, at the Brookfield Gospel Hall in Brookfield, Connecticut, in the fall of 2003. It was part of a two-week seminar series on future events entitled Finding Security in an Uncertain World. For outlines of these messages, please go to www.gather.com. Now, thank you again for coming to the meeting tonight. Good to see each one at the present. And we do trust that God will make the meeting tonight a blessing to everyone. That's a very large request, you know. They may say things like that, but that is a large request that God to be able to do it. So we trust that He will graciously work in the meeting tonight. Now, I'd like to read in the book of Jeremiah chapter 30, please. Jeremiah and chapter 30. Verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For, lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see, whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas! For that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, for he shall be sick, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds. And strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore. Fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, Be not dis- neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy ch- seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. Now into the New Testament, please, in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. And we will begin our reading at verse 15. What has been given to us earlier in the chapter is the beginning of sorrows. So this is the beginning time to these sorrows that are now being referred to. Here is the turning point in the chapter When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. So in the sanctuary of God there will be this abomination that makes desolate. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, then shall be the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now one other reading in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Thessalonians 2 verse 11 and for this cause sorry let's go back to the previous verse that describes the working of Satan in this man of deception and this man that claims to be God and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness uh, what is going to be able to do will be unrighteous and it will have all the deceitfulness of unrighteousness In them that perish, because, this is the reason they will perish, believing this lie, they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There are three descriptions of these people given. They received not the love of the truth, in verse 10. In verse 12, they believed not the truth. Number three, they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, tonight we're moving on to... A time when it will be able to be said it has never been worse than this. This is the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. The last three and a half years of the seven year period of time that is generally referred to as the tribulation. That's the time of temptation. The hour of temptation that shall try all them that dwell on the earth.
1: This is the
0: tribulation, the great one. We have read about it in the book of Jeremiah described as the worst of times that will ever have been and the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 likewise describing it as a time of tribulation such as there has not been from the foundation of the world. And I'm glad he adds the rest of that, nor ever shall be. This is the culminating time of God's wrath outpouring of his judgment on earth And so we're looking at this that is the worst of of all times. It is the tribulation, the great one, and its specific object is actually the, the nation of God's favor. Interestingly enough, while the whole period of time will affect the entire world, this last half of the week will be especially directed to Israel. And it is directed to Israel for their blessing as a result of that time now uh, just as you are looking at your outline I'll, I'll switch back and forth here just a little bit uh, but the, I think it may be worthwhile just at this point kind of pausing to identify who the various types of people are that will be in this time of seven years and specifically this time of three and a half years at the close. Of the tribulation. I want to point out to you several groups of people that are itemized for us in the Word of God who will be saved in this period of time. But I have read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 just to make sure it is clear to us that there are some people who will never be saved in this time. They are people who fall into these three descriptions that we have read. They receive not the love of the truth. Rather than loving truth and receiving truth, they have not believed the truth. They are unbelievers. And number three, they have pleasure in unrighteousness. If I were to be able to bury down deep into the hearts of those in the gathering tonight who are not truly saved, I think I might find that the reason you are not saved is Not because you cannot figure out salvation. But there are some things, some pleasures that you would prefer to wait for and to enjoy rather than to know the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior now. Will you take a word of solemn, clear warning? They had pleasure in sin. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. They chose to go for unrighteousness rather than to believe the truth. And they would not receive the love of the truth. So I just want to impress on you that as you sit in the meeting tonight, we're not talking about somebody else. These are very clear statements. And I would think they must apply to some that are in the meeting tonight who, when the Lord Jesus comes, will never be saved after that time. Thank God that there is time to be saved now. Those three descriptions do not exclude a person from salvation. Now you can turn. But there is some sense from what I understand in the Word of God that once this deceiver comes it will be too late for you to turn. Now is the time to turn. And there are millions that will turn in a day to come. And they will know at the beginning of that period of time nothing about the Bible compared to what you know. By the end of that time, they will be enjoying the Lord and will have eternal life. By the end of that time, your soul will have been banished into eternal fire. Solemn. but there are at least two groups of people that I want to just look at generally. There are Gentiles that will be saved in this seven-year period of time. And there are Jews that will be saved in this seven-year period of time. The Gentiles that will be saved... There is my pointer. The Gentiles that will be saved are the sheep that are referred to in the... Not a parable. It is a prophecy that the Lord Jesus gives of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes and sits on the throne of His glory... And then the nations will be gathered before him. The Gentiles will be gathered before him. And he will divide them. As a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will say to the sheep. As well as he says to the goats. He personally commends the sheep. He personally condemns the goats. And so there are those from the Gentile nations. That have received life from God. These shall go away into Everlasting punishment, the goats, those that were not saved among the Gentile nations. And the righteous into life eternal, there are those that will enjoy the blessings that result from the eternal life they receive during this seven year period of time. Gentiles who have been saved, and they have been saved by missionaries that God himself raised up by miraculous means and sent so that they would hear the gospel. And those missionaries eventually suffered tremendously for their mission and these sheep who received their message, who received the Savior, who received their everlasting life, they suffered with them. They participated or associated themselves with them in suffering. And in case you're wondering why I'm going over all of that so specifically, uh, the interpretation in Christendom of that passage is that as long as you're good to the poor and as long as you visit people that are in prison and as long as you feed people that need food and they're hungry, that, that will be sufficient, and the Lord will take you into heaven as a result. That would contradict other clear passages of the Word of God, and it certainly doesn't square with what this passage is teaching. It is people in that seven-year period of time, Gentiles, who have received these my brethren, those that the Lord Jesus sent with a message to them. They are Jewish people, therefore his Jewish brethren, that he has sent to them with a message of the gospel, And they have sympathized with them because they have received the message. They have suffered with them as well. So, that's the sheet of Matthew chapter 25. When you come to Revelation chapter 7, the beginning of Revelation 7, you have these 144,000, 12 from each of the tribes that are itemized, that are sealed by God. They are actually preserved to be used by God. So, no matter what the opposition is and the attempts of the evil one to put them to death, they are sealed, preserved in life by God himself throughout this period of time. So that's the beginning of chapter uh, 7. And then there is, at the end of chapter 7, a multitude that can't be numbered. And and John asks, who are these and whence did they come? And these are they that have come out of the great tribulation. So they have come out of this period of time. They are Gentiles, and they have come out of this period of, of great tribulation. So, while the 144,000 did not die, some of those that believed their message died. And these are the innumerable multitude I at the end of Revelation chapter 7. Some of the people that believed their message didn't die. They are the sheep that survived to the end of that period of time. But these are Gentiles that will have, be, have been saved by Jewish missionaries raised up by God the 144,000 witnesses that tell them the message of the gospel. Those are the ones saved in the Gentile world, and I've itemized at least seven uh, different classes of folks that are saved from the Jewish people. I maybe should do it this way. This chart is not complete, but we can work with it. You see here the seven years of tribulation, the time when the covenant is signed, that's the trigger point for the beginning of the seven year period of time when the majority of the Jewish nation will sign a treaty, the majority government might be a simple way to put it, will sign a treaty with this man of sin. That will begin this seven year period of time, Daniel's 70th week, this seven year time of tribulation. At the middle of the week, there's an event that we will talk about that appears to be the climax of the event that changes everything. And then this last three and a half years is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time of the tribulation, the great one. However, you may want to uh, note it. That is the time of end then when Christ returns to earth in power and great glory. So let me just look with you at these groups of people that are saved. Um, I- I'll tell you honestly. Um, but uh, sometimes I do a little moving around of the information that I'm going to tell you tonight, which means I'm reserving the right to change my mind at some point here. But uh, as I understand it, I hate to say it at the moment, as I understand it, let me just place for you these seven groups somewhere in this seven-year period of time. The 144,000 witnesses are saved by a direct intervention of God. I think... That when Paul speaks about himself as one who was born before the due time, that Paul thinks of himself as a little representative of these very people here. That Paul was saved by a direct intervention of God, right? The Damascus Road, there was no preacher that brought the message at that point to Paul. God, by direct intervention, raised up a witness for himself, and he shall be my witness unto the kings and so on. So... I think maybe uh, Saul of Tarsus understood it. Paul, the apostle, understood it. Perhaps just a little preview of this 144,000 Jews. I would take it. Where are we? This is the beginning. I would take it that they are sealed right at the beginning of this period of time. So that they actually have a seven-year period of time in which they preach the message. And part of my reason for that is that the people I referred to at the end of Revelation chapter 7 came out of the Great Tribulation, they were killed. They were actually martyred during that period of time. They may not have been saved under conditions of martyrdom. They may have very well have been saved in that first seven and a half year period of time. But the 144,000 raised up, I would say they were raised up here, at the beginning of this period of time. One of the beginning markers of this seven year period of time, the 144,000 sealed and saved and sent with the message of the Gospel. Then in uh, Revelation chapter 11, you have two very um, unusual people who actually have the, uh, the likeness to Moses with the plague that Moses brought on the land of Egypt, and to Elijah with his power given to him by God to restore the people of God back to God from their idolatry and sin. Uh, those two witnesses have the uh, power to continue during this period of time. And I would take it that those two witnesses are raised up here in this Jewish end of the period of time and they have a mission to call the people of Israel, uh, Jews, back to the Lord and then they are put to death right at the end of this period of time and miraculously they stand again on the streets of Jerusalem and the whole world wonders after them. I would take it that that goes right to the end of that period of time before the Lord comes or at that time. Then you have those that are saved Some of whom are martyred in the first part of the week. Now we mentioned those in Revelation chapter six, under the fifth seal. You have them, and they're those that have died, and they're saying, "How long, O Lord? How long before God judges and brings righteousness for their uh, for their death?" So they are saved in the first part of this time. They are Jews, and uh, they're in the vast minority. But they belong to the Lord and actually this man, this peace loving man of sin will make them an object of his hatred and scorn and spite and they will be martyred in the first part of this seven year period of time. Then in Jeremiah chapter 32 I'm not sure just where to place these people and they may be placed all the way along this whole period of time. But God promised and we read it again in in, in Jeremiah chapter 30. God promised that these Jews who in the present time have been scattered all over the world, will be regathered to Israel. Now marvelous that God is actually going to use Gentiles that will carry them back to the land of promise. A uh, little detour here. I cannot tell you tonight that Israel being in the land at the present time fulfills any scriptures. I cannot tell you that. No one can. Sorry just give you my emphatic statement no one can but God will bring by his miraculous power Jews back to that land I take it from the the way the scripture speaks that Israel will be in the land when the Lord Jesus comes uh, because there will be this treaty that will be signed that begins the seven year period but there will and so therefore some have already will have already been gathered back to Israel before this seven-week, seven-year period begins, I see some blank stares. I'm just kind of slowing down here a little bit. If the treaty with Israel is signed at the beginning of this seven-year period of time, then Israel must exist as a nation at the beginning of the tribulation time. And because there can't be a long lapse after the Lord comes to the beginning of this time, Israel must be a nation. I would take it uh, when the Lord comes. To be careful. We don't put any conditions on something that must exist before the Lord comes, but I think God is going to superintend that Israel will be in their land. However, something problem here. However, there will be others that will be regathered during this period of time by God, and uh, so I would say that's another group that is saved somewhere during this period of time, and, and it may be an ongoing thing that God will put it in the hearts of Gentiles to send back these Jewish people back to the land and they will be there waiting when the Lord Jesus comes back to the land of Israel. Then in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the ten virgins now we use it in the gospel but we only are allowed to use it in the gospel because it has a principle in it that you have to be ready for the coming of the Lord and those that are not ready will be excluded but to interpret it in its context, uh, to interpret it with the whole figure of the wedding, uh, you need to put it into where it belongs and that is in the tribulation period of time. And what the story is there is that there will be those who are the Lord's and those who claim to be the Lord's. Those who claim to belong to Israel and be part of a remnant and those who are really genuinely part of that remnant. They all have a testimony. That they are linked with the Lord, that they are looking for the Messiah. But at the middle of the week, at midnight, the cry is made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Now that takes us right to the middle of the week, at midnight, at the darkest hour, and we'll look at that a little bit later. But at the darkest hour, something happens that distinguishes those that are able to endure through all the darkness of the night and those that are not able to endure through all the darkness of the night. And five discover they don't have power to maintain this testimony. And they ostensibly go to get this power, but they go when it's too late. Do I need to interpret that any further? In the middle of the week, something happens that causes those in Israel that claim to be waiting for the Messiah To discover they can't withstand the pressure, and they will not be able to stand. They are not genuine, and there are some that have the power of the Spirit of God that will enable them. They are regenerated. They have the power of the Spirit of God that will enable them to withstand all. I need to make it plain: all the persecution of the Antichrist, all his determined effort, Satan's determined effort to wipe out the, to snuff out the light of testimony. And they will continue to shine for God. Awakened by what happens in the middle of the week. And they will continue to shine for God. The five wives are those that are saved as a result. They come to life as a result of an event right at the middle of the week. And then we have, uh, and you can check other authorities who will not. In Daniel chapter 12, you have a reference to those that sleep in the many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall arise. some to shame and everlasting contempt, some to everlasting life. Now the problem I have is that it's only some of them that sleep in the dust of the earth. There are those that say that that's a physical resurrection. Uh, just why is it that it is only some of the dead that will be ara- be raised? But I think it's rather a spiritual resurrection that is referred to. And what Daniel is saying is there are some in the nation of Israel that will be revived. That is in the sense of, of now coming to some sense of profession, some sense of awareness. Israel as a nation coming into life. Uh, not spiritual life, but a sense of national life. But some that awaken, will awaken to their shame. And the result will be everlasting contempt. We'll look at what they will do. And some will awaken to everlasting life. So there are those that are part of this
1: revived
0: nation now that will be in the land and some from that number will be saved as well during the Great Tribulation. And then finally, there are those that will be saved at the coming of the Lord Jesus back to the earth. A nation born in a day. Uh, You have in Zechariah chapter 12 that there's a spirit of prayer and supplication poured out on them. They're mourning longing to have Christ come back, longing to have his deliverer. And then it says above them that in Jerusalem there shall be opened a fountain for sin and for uncleanness. So I take it that the coming of the Lord brings them to this fountain for sin and for uncleanness. So there are those that will be saved right at the time of the coming of the Lord back to the earth. So I'm suggesting to you at least those seven groups of people from the Jewish nation. But... But for emphasis none of these that are saved Jew or Gentile will have been described by these three descriptions they received not the love of the truth they believe not the truth they had pleasure in unrighteousness these are individuals who have never clearly rejected light, direct clear gospel light from God that it seems to me cannot describe some that are sitting in the meeting tonight who know the gospel maybe like I did when I was in school I used to tell the other young people at school what was true, the truth I, I told them what they believed wasn't right, what the Bible said was until one day a girl asked me so David are you saved? which was one of life's most embarrassing moments, I could tell her that she needed to be saved and that the gospel was true. But when it came to the preacher, I had to hang my head and say, no. And so I would take it that those in that category are described as the ones who will believe a lie and they will be damned, they will perish forever. Now let me move with you to the next part of the outline and uh, just look a little bit at this terrible time of Israel's troubles. The crisis that will cause this to happen, we have looked at in our reading in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. The desolation that will come through this period of time is attributable by Daniel the prophet, quoted by the Lord in Matthew 24, attributable to what takes place at the middle of the week. It is the time when this man of sin causes the sacrifice and oblation to cease. I think when you put passages together, then what you understand is this. This is when this man says, alright, you Jews have been doing what you want in your temple, but let's bring this down to where it really belongs. I'm God. And instead of offering your sacrifices to this God who is no God, he sits in the temple of God as God. And he claims, he demands the worship of the Jews in that temple. And at that point, everything suddenly changes. And there are those The five wives who awaken and they realize, wait a minute, this is the imposter, this is what Daniel the prophet said, this is the time for us to wake up and let our true light shine. We are waiting for Jesus the Messiah and they're entrusting him, they're waiting for him through this period of darkness. And there are some that say, we were waiting for a Messiah too, but we're not going to get tangled up with this this man of sin and get put to death. They don't have power, they don't have oil in their lamp to give them strength to live through this period of time with, true to the Lord and therefore they are the five foolish virgins who have no oil with their vessel or in their land. From that point on Israel the majority has fallen to the greatest possible level of abomination the greatest kind of idolatry that they have ever sunk to will be in that last three and a half year period of time. Because there will be a majority in the Jewish nation in Israel that will do what he says. And they will bow down. They won't be able to have commerce if they don't. Uh, they don't have the mark of the beast. They won't be able to buy or sell. And they will go along with this. It will be the worst form of idolatry that the nation of Israel has ever been involved in. That is what the Lord Jesus is speaking about in the parable in Matthew chapter 12. You'll understand that Matthew 12 is a crisis point in Matthew's gospel. It it is sealing the rejection of the nation of Israel for him. And one of the parables that he tells in that chapter is the parable about a man who got rid of the evil spirit. The evil spirit for Israel had been that from the time they came out of uh, Egypt they had actually been worshipping the gods of Egypt and they picked up the gods of the Canaanites when they came into Canaan and uh, finally when they went into captivity they finally turned away from that and the true remnant goes back to live in Israel never again in their lifetimes, to turn to idolatry. And so Israel when the Lord Jesus comes to them they have, they have cast out that, that evil spirit of <clears throat> idolatry. And they are the stalwarts for worshiping the one true God, the invisible God. Uh, but their house, unfortunately, is empty and swept and garnished. They're right in getting rid of it, idolatry, the evil spirit. But they have nothing. The Lord Jesus said, Your house is left unto you desolate. Your house is left unto you empty. They wouldn't have Christ. And now it says they return. Taking us on to the seven year period of time. They return. They find the house empty, swept, garnished. And they take to themselves seven other spirits more wicked than themselves. (coughs) And that's what's going to happen to Israel at this time that we're talking about now. This will be the fullest expression of idolatry and wickedness. That the nation of Israel has ever stooped to. That is the problem that is coming up, and that's a picture of that problem. When you're reading through the book of Daniel, you'll come across another man who's referred to as a little horn. And it speaks about him uh, and going into the temple, and you begin to wonder is this man the, the man of sin we're looking at? But there are other things about him that do not line up to it. Historically, he is one of the Greek generals, one of the Greek kings who actually in spite for the Jews as he swept through their country in uh, invasion he defiled their temple and to scorn these feeble people, the Jews that are so religious he actually took an unclean animal, a pig and offered up an unclean animal in the temple itself and he defiled the temple actually there's a whole bloody history of those that were faithful to the Lord uh, during that period of time and fought the invaders and fought him and lost their lives and so on Maccabees and, and, and such but he's just a little forerunner of another king who will set himself up to defile that temple of God in a day that's coming in the future and there's another thing when you come to um, the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 that church going through such tribulation and uh, Their location is given to us. They suffered because they would not offer their pinch of incense to Caesar. Now let me just back up and give you what I'm thinking of on that. The Caesars claimed to be God. They claimed to be the deity, the son of deity that was to be worshipped. And so Christians suffered at the beginning of our present age. They suffered because they would not worship the Roman Emperor. There is a class of people that said, we have no king but Caesar. There's coming another Caesar. Another king in the Roman line. And he will go farther than any of the Caesars before him. He will dare to go into the temple in Jerusalem. And he will dare to tell these Jews that he is God and they must worship him. And while there were Jews, unconverted Jews that died because they would not worship the Caesars and there were obviously believers that died because they would not worship Caesar. These people in a day that's coming will worship the Caesar who is the man of sin, the Roman leader who claims absolute deity and worship for himself. So that's the pictures of what will be that that type of thing has been in the past in its fullest extent it will be revealed at the middle of the week the graphic is gone
1: from that moment on
0: Satan will have a more determined effort than he has ever had to wipe out this nation of Israel you read about that in Revelation chapter 7 he knows that his, sorry, chapter 12 he knows that his time is short and so, he makes this woman, Israel, the special object of his hatred and animosity. And if it were not that God had a place to hide them in the wilderness, he would wipe them out completely. Remember, it speaks about him sending out a flood of water to, to drown them. And the earth, actually natural means, God used to help them. And the earth absorbs this great flood, and God preserves them in a secret place so that they will be kept until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Satan, with all his fury, is focused on one thing. Wipe out these people. And his emissary, the hand that's doing the work, is this man of sin who will persecute God's people. Interesting, you read about time and times and half a time in Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 13, you read that this man of sin is given to him to persecute God's people for 42 months. That's the same time, time, half a time. One, two, plus two makes three and a half, three and a half years. Or, 42 months. But when God measures the time of their persecution, he measures it in days. He knows every single day of their persecution. He knows exactly 1260 days, day by day, God sympathizes with, cares for, and knows the daily persecution of his people. What's true in the future is true today too. Bless the truth just to take to our hearts. But, in light of this, in these days, this period of time, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days, will be the time of such tremendous persecution. So that the nation of Israel will be brought as close as the devil himself can bring it to extinction. In addition to that, remember that last night we noted that the trumpet judgments will come during this three and a half year period of time. We noticed that the bowl or vile judgments will be poured out at the very close of this period of time. There will be natural catastrophes that will bring death across the whole, I take it, the whole area of the Mediterranean at least, and there will be such natural catastrophes in trees and grass and rivers and seas and the sun itself and the moon and the stars. What a tremendous time of upheaval. All the natural world will be in disjointed disarray, apparent disarray, superintended by the hand of God, Pouring out judgments on this world. Pouring out judgments on his people Israel. The result of their sin against God. The result of their rejection of Christ. And in preparation for what God is going to do with that nation. And we are looking at a three and a half year period of time that will know the greatest of devastation that has ever been known in the world. People dying at tremendous rates. Uh, We're looking at the conflict with all its difficulty, but it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Ever wonder why it's called that? Remember Jacob's time of trouble when he was left alone? And all his scheming and all his ability to get his own way in whatever way he devised is all past. And he was left alone and there wrestled with him that night. The angel of the Lord. And all through that night, Jacob works and wrestles and resists. He's still the wrestler. His name means that. He's still going to get it his way. And he didn't prevail until finally at the close of the night, the dawn of the day, the angel of the Lord touches him in the hollow of his thigh and his strength is gone. And what does he do? He just hangs on. He clings to the Lord for blessing. No longer able to take his own way, he finally submits to God. That's the story of what's going to take place in this time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob will finally be cut. Jacob is the character of the nation of Israel. Self-willed to get their own way and fail to submit to God. But God will finally, after this long night of Jacob's trouble, touch them in the hollow of the thigh. And the people who are wrestlers against God will be given a new name, Israel. A prince with God that has prevailed. A people that have come to repentance and by the mighty power of God have been raised up. in princely character to join the prince of peace when he comes and to go into that kingdom in all its glory lesson. So the time of Jacob's trouble is God finally dealing with his people patiently persistently the Lord wrestling with Jacob all through the hours of the night the Lord could have just gotten Jacob pinned down with his thumb before Jacob knew it hit him and the Lord wrestled with him and the Lord deals with him as he is you see the Lord becomes a wrestler to him because he's a wrestler with the Lord and so you see God's dealing with the nation of Israel in keeping with their own character until finally God says, that's far enough. And a crippled Jacob that will always halt upon his thigh. A crippled Jacob has princely character. How did he get it? Just by holding on to God. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now that's the character of the people of Israel that is given to us in Zechariah chapter 12. I've already referred to that, but just just let me go over it with you one more time. When a, a spirit of prayer and supplication will then characterize these people, and they'll all mourn apart. By their tribes, they'll all be mourning. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. They shall look for him whom they have pierced. And they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only child. A child that is lost. A child that has died. A child that the family longs to see brought back. and They'll be waiting, longing, anxiously for him whom they once rejected. For him to come back. And uh, God will have at that point brought them to where he brought Jacob. To just hold on to God. By prayer, by crying to God they will receive the great blessing that they have longed for in the coming of the Messiah to their rescue, to deliver them for their salvation. So that brings us to the cry and the consequence of this period of time. God will, through all this terrible tribulation, finally bring his people to total dependence on him. And so, all Israel shall be saved. Those that are truly of Israel, that have this character, broken, dependent on God, crying to God for blessing, God will hear, and the Lord himself will come in response to their, their cry. One want another connection? when the Lord Jesus said, may not always to pray and not to think. He told him the story about a judge, a, a wicked judge, and a woman that needed to be avenged of her adversaries. And she came to him and he cared not for God nor man. But she kept coming. And she kept coming. And finally he says, I, there's no other reason for doing this, but I'm tired of her and to keep her from coming back, I'll do what she asked. And then the Lord says, oh, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find this kind of faith on the earth? The Son of Man coming is just what we're talking about now. This kind of faith is a Jacob-like faith that says, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. So the Lord Jesus is telling us, never faint, never give up. Because God's not like the unjust judge. God does have a a regard for what is right. And keep coming to God. God will answer your prayer. And there are those in Israel in a day that's coming. God will bear along with them. His own elect will bear along with them. But God will eventually give an answer to a nation that is crying to God, that prays and does not faint. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're longing for God to bless them, to deliver them from this awful time of trial and persecution. Let me just come to an application of this to those who are in their sins. There is one objective that God has in dealing with men for their blessing. The blessing is sure. The Lord is going to come back to Israel. But God prepares a people with repentance before they enjoy the blessing. It is absolutely necessary. If a soul is ever to enjoy the blessing of God's salvation, it is absolutely necessary. That that soul like a Jacob will finally, ultimately bow to God. Now every one of us here tonight who is saved resisted God in different ways, our own ways. We have turned everyone to his own way. But for a person to receive God's salvation, it's not a matter of getting a fresh understanding of the gospel. It's not a matter of a deep enough emotional experience. It's not a matter of a dozen things that people have all conjured up in their mind. Salvation comes to a sinner who bows to God. And no matter what a soul believes, no matter how much they know, no matter how much they would like to be saved, if you're having difficulty with salvation, will you just write it down in your little black book that the reason is you have never bowed to what God says? Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. This three and a half year period of time we're talking about is really about this. Will these people turn or will they refuse to turn? Will these people bow to God or will they not bow to God? Those who bow to God, who submit to his word? Blessing. Those who do not turn shame and everlasting contempt. They stay by the shameful Idolatry of worshiping a man in the temple of God. And they arise to shame and to everlasting contempt. There are those who submit to God and they come into the blessing of eternal life. So very simply tonight, that's where everyone in the gathering has been or is. Thank God for the time when we turn. Sometimes when I see how difficult it is for sinners to turn, I wonder how it ever happened. But I turned. Thank God that the Spirit of God brought us to this place to realize this. There's no hope for me as I am. Nothing that I do is going to bring salvation to me. All of my knowledge will not help me get God's salvation. I think maybe I depended on what I thought I knew and I had kind to of come to realize all that I know about salvation will never make salvation happen for me. However it is, God brings a sinner finally, ultimately, to turn, to submit to recognize that what God says is right, to acknowledge in very simple language, if God says I deserve judgment, then I deserve judgment if God says I am helpless then I am helpless, if God says salvation is apart from me altogether then God is right, and I cannot save myself, and if God doesn't have mercy on me, my soul will be in hell forever a soul that bows to God does not have a difficulty in getting salvation. Salvation comes simply. And how many times have you been reminded of this? A person who finally submits to God and receives Christ, trusts His Word, and trusts the Savior. Sometimes it almost seems like it's the first words from a soul like that. Is that all there is? Isn't it so simple? Salvation is a very simple matter. To a sinner who bows to God, salvation is an impossible puzzle to a soul who is going to get it his way and will not simply take it God's way. Wonderful thing if there were souls in the gathering tonight that would just bow to God and receive this greatest of all blessings that's available, purchased by precious blood of the cross. This salvation can be yours tonight from this Savior who died for sinners, take his word and leave the meeting tonight knowing I have this greatest of all blessings. I'll never be left to the judgments and the deception that's coming after the coming of the Lord for the believers. I'll go with them. I'll be in heaven forever.